Well, it's good to see y'all too. It's good to see y'all too. Yes, welcome. Welcome to Chi Alpha. This is your first, or maybe you've come for the past three years, or maybe you were just on High Street and passing by, and you like, hey, a lot of people are walking in there, and they're giving out free stuff. I need to be in there. Welcome. Whatever brought you here, glad you are here. We, um, this is our third Chi Alpha of the year. Had fun. Yes. And we have been in a very fun series about Jesus, and we will go even further into that. I'm going to have a friend come and read, Taylor Mullins. Many of you know Taylor. She's going to come and read for us. She's going to read in Matthew chapter 4, a pretty crazy story. I'm really excited. But yes, this is Taylor, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It'll be up here on the screen, but if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, then, no, if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen, but if you have one, you could turn there. Hi. Will you guys stand with me while we read the word of the Lord? Okay, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is, not, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him, and angels came and attended him. You may be seated. All right, I'll say a prayer, and we'll go further, further up, further in. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be together. Thank you for your example here. Speak to our hearts tonight. Speak through me. Thank you, Lord God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we are going to wa watch, talk about temptation. Tim, yes, that is everyone's favorite subject, right? Yes, it's excited. Temptation. The good news is this is something that everyone can relate with. No one escapes this. It, it is real for all of us. We are all tempted. We all run into temptation. It's something that we deal with all throughout the day. It comes in many different forms. What is temptation? I like definitions just like Christopher does. And temptation, definition for temptation, a desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Being tempted or enticed. And because I like sources that are equally as good as Webster, Urban Dictionary, Urban Dictionary's <laughs> definition, the only source on the level of Webster, Urban Dictionary says, well, one of them says, you can't trust everything they say, as we all know. But a desire to perform an action that you may enjoy now, but will regret later. That is, a philosopher wrote that, I am convinced. 
or maybe Webster won on the Urban Dictionary because he knew how reliable it was and he added that. But a desire to perform an action that you may enjoy now, but you will regret later. We all experience temptation. What does temptation look like? It, when you wake up in the morning, the temptation to eat what you know might be best calories-wise and nutritionally, but may not taste as good. I like oatmeal, but maybe dry oatmeal isn't as delicious as a scone or some donuts, you know? But some people, like, or I don't know, the temptation when it comes to your parents and letting them know what's been happening in college. All right, the temptation to I could tell them the truth and tell them how hard some things have been or maybe some of the questionable decisions I've made or about some excursions I've had, which they probably won't be excited about, or I could just not tell them anything at all. The temptation to lie, to hold back information. Temptation when it comes to school. You know, like, you got to study for a test that may just be tomorrow, and you've delayed most of your studying to this one day before the test. But then also, there's this series on Netflix that you've really been wanting to watch, and so you say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to give in to temptation. I'm going to watch one episode, and then I'm going to study, and I'm going to enjoy the rest of it. I'm going to binge the rest of it tomorrow. But then you watch that one episode, and you're like, ooh, that was good, that cliffhanger, though. I, let me just see the beginning of the next. I'm not going to watch the whole one, just the beginning. And then you keep watching, and it's like, Okay, well, let me, but the next episode, because you, you got to see that one, because the stuff isn't resolved. And then what happens? That four hours that you had to study is now 30 minutes, because you did finish the season, but you only have 30 minutes to study. Temptation has a lot of different forms. It's not just the typical thought, at least when I think of temptation, you know, the things related to sexual activities, you know, that, that aspect of temptation. It's not just that. That is legitimate as well. But we're tempted by a lot of things. I don't know, the temptation, next week you got a test, and you're like, ooh, I could go to small group, but at the same time I got a test tomorrow. What if just this one week, look, I went to Kyle for three weeks in a row. I've earned it. Temptation has a lot of different forms. The cool thing about temptation, though, and this is always comforting for me, is that temptation actually isn't wrong. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that temptation is wrong. It's what you do after being tempted. Because last week, did we not talk about Jesus and we talked about how he came from God and he lived a perfect life, yet he is here and he is tempted by the devil. E. Stanley Jones, a good friend of ours, he says this about temptation, and it is one of my, it's just, I just, I like read it, and I'm like, ooh, that's good. He says, temptation is not sin, but pulling up a chair for it is. Suppose that you have some impure thought that comes into your mind. Of, the, of course, the thought can block your connection with God. But that's only if you harbor the thought. If you dismiss it at once, there's no sin, and it's coming. Thoughts of sin become sinful thoughts only if entertained and given a seat. That's, that's when temptation has gone into being a whole other problem, which is actually doing something that is not good, that's wrong. 
think about the time that you gave into temptation, and maybe it was like the worst time that you ever gave, gave into temptation, at least in regards to results. You got it? You got that thought? I know what it is for me. As I was trying to think about this and I knew I would ask this question, I was like, what is the, there is a time where I have given into temptations many times, but the time that was the most terrifying for me where I literally almost died was a time where some of y'all have heard this story, so it is quite ridiculous and it is true. Back in my previous days living in Houston, Texas, which I said I was from a few weeks ago, there are a lot of clubs all around the city, not just on like one street. And this one club I went to with some high school friends and we're like, oh, hey, let's go to this club. It's going to be a great experience. And I'm thinking, cool, we go to the club. Music is really loud, typical club experience. Everything's really dark. Can't really see how gross it is in there. And we're walking around and, you know, just scoping it out. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it's like early on in, this, in the evening, I see what looked like an angel that came down from heaven and then came into the club. And I saw it and I was like, oh, I have to dance with you. And so I like walk over and it's, you know, typical. When you're in a club, you can't just like, you know, passively walk through the crowd. It's like a concert. You know, you got to like be like shoving people out of the way. And so I'm going in and I'm focused. I'm not looking at anyone else. I'm just looking at her. And I'm going in and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get there. And then as I'm making my way there, all of a sudden I hear be behind me, who pushed me? I was like, what is this? How are you so loud that in a club you can be heard? And then I don't turn around because I don't want to turn around. And so I keep walking forward and I say, who pushed me? And I was like, I turn around, and it's like a mosh pit experience where I don't, it just never happens. But everybody parted. Everybody was like, <laughs> want no part of this. All of a sudden, huge dance floor opens up, and it's me and this guy and his friend next to him. And he looks at me, and I'm just like, oh, come on. And I could just see it in his eyes. Okay, you have certain types of people. You got those dudes who, like, walk around campus, and they walk around different places. They're big. They got big trucks. They, like, they, you know, they look big and bad. Those dudes, when trouble starts, they usually fold up like a cheap tent. They are not to be feared. But there are other people, usually not even that big, usually, like, but you can just see it in their eyes. They're crazy. You can't reason with that. You cannot reason with someone like this. And I look over and I'm like, ah, that is the look. This is not good. And he just is, and then next to him he has his instigator friend who is holding a towel. I don't know why you bring a towel into a, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> Unless you go to the pool, but it's like, F him up, T, F him up. And I'm like, no way, shut up. And then he's looking at me. Why you push me? And then he raises up his shirt. And I'm like, no way he snuck a gun into the club. And I'm just like, 
No. Come on. I, I don't even know who she is. It wasn't even worth it. This is, uh, uh, I regret this so much. <laughs> and then I just say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I've never been so apologetic. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I mean, but <laughs> I did not start crying, though I was tempted to. And then his friend, the grace of God comes down on him, and he's just like, let him go, T. Let him go. And he looks at me, and he's like. And then he turns around and walks away. And I'm just like, I promise you, I walked over to the wall, directly to the wall. I, I sat at the bar and stood by, the, like, I was by the wall the whole evening. I told my friends, whenever y'all are ready to go, I'm ready to go. And that was, that was it. That was the evening. But that's what, that's what temptation is like. You know, it's like, it's like signing up for a credit card where you're like, oh, yeah, great. I got a credit card in college. I have $5,000 immediately. I can go do whatever I want. But then later on, it costs so much. It costs so much. It's free or cheap on the front end, but it costs so much afterwards. And so tonight, we're looking at Jesus, and we're looking at him being tempted by the devil, and we're going to look at how he responded and what he has to show us about who he is and what he can, what he can do for us. So... I'm just going to kind of work my way through this passage. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to go back and read it again because, well, I am going to read it again, but I'm going to read it verse by verse. And so at the very beginning, what do we have here? It says, then Jesus was led by the, this is just after the baptism. We just talked about the baptism last week. Last week, it said that he came and identified, not as being perfect, but he came and took the spot of a sinner so that he could go and bring salvation to everyone. Everyone is separated from God without Jesus identifying as a sinner and then later on giving his life unselfishly on a cross to make it so that we can be with God again. And so he has just been baptized. And then literally right after, it's like right after that, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, led by God's leading, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I don't know what you think about the devil. I don't know what the devil is to you, but we live in a Western culture, and we live in a culture specifically on a college campus where people enjoy being sophisticated. And so the idea of a devil and demons isn't taken too seriously often, even in churches sometimes. But the Bible says that there is a devil, that there is an person who stand, or an angel, the Bible describes him as an angel who has opposed God and tried to make it so that others would oppose God. No matter what you believe, it says that God created two different types of beings. He created angels and he created human beings, and he, both have free will, and that the angels, we don't know when, some rebelled against God. And said, we want to do things our own way. And they were led by the devil, Satan. That, that's what it tells us. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of setting you grew up in. I don't know what you believe. This may be like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I'm with that. You, you may struggle with this idea. But I just want to throw out a couple things before we go any further. And thinking about this idea of the devil and all this, consider if this is something that you struggle, to, struggle with, consider first 
I just want to say the idea of the devil and demons is only a struggle, really, for Western cultures, us, North America, Europe. But the rest of the world, they don't struggle with the idea of this. And not just because they have theories about spiritual things and spiritual dimensions. It's because of what they see. Like if you go and do missions over there and you hear the stories of what they experience over there, oh, someone died. (laughs) Hope you're all right. But if you hear the stories of what they experience over there, they see spiritual things. They don't have theories about the devil and about demons. They experience it. And the idea of a devil isn't, isn't strange to them at all. So try not to be culturally narrow. Also, I would just say, if the idea of a personal God, a personal benevolent being who is spirit is okay, then why not the idea of a personal but bad being? Why is it that different? Also, if the Bible is true, and if what the Bible says about this is true, which, you know, the Bible is. That was kind of a, never mind. That was like, it wasn't supposed to be such a serious, you know, comment. It was like a little joke. (laughs) Sorry, I'll I'll just like move on. Like, in the sense where I'm not trying to assume that you believe this. I'm not trying to be a a jerk and arrogant about it. That's all. But also, this idea, the Bible doesn't say this to just get us excited about these things. Like, oh, you got to worry about demons and stuff. What the Bible is trying to show us is that the things that you struggle with can't just be dealt with with good psychology and good sociology. You can't have enough friends and enough self-help to deal with all of your problems. There are spiritual things working against us, trying to stop us from being what God has called us to be. And I said it a couple weeks ago, and I said it again last week, that Jesus never wrote anything. But I was kind of not being honest because Jesus technically did write some things. I wasn't trying to be dishonest. It's just the fact that there are many things that happened in Jesus' life where no one else was there. And the only way that we would know about it is by him telling us or him telling the disciples who wrote this stuff down. He told them this. This story is from Jesus. He said, this was my experience. After I was baptized, I was led into the desert. And for 40 days, I was tempted by the devil. So Jesus speaks of the devil as if he believes him. And I trust Jesus. And that fact alone was the strongest fact for me personally years ago struggling with like, oh, is the devil real? If Jesus says he's real, that's, that's where I draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I'm with Jesus. But we'll move forward. I just didn't want to come in and assume that everyone was okay with the devil. And saying all of that, it says, after fasting for 40 days and nights, it says he was hungry. And it said the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, he tempted him with three things. He said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He comes to him, 
And he tries to tempt him first on a level that's a physical, legitimate need. And the crazy thing about everything that the devil tempted him with, he came to him only with good things. He actually didn't come to him and say, hey, join the, join the dark side. Become a Sith. He didn't. <laughs> Jesus isn't Anakin. He's not stupid enough to fall for that. He, he went and, sorry, it's a Star Wars joke for some of y'all. But anyways, he's not a Sith. He's not tempted by the dark side. He came to him with three legitimate needs. And the first one is one that we can all relate with, this physical need. We all have physical needs. What are physical needs that we have? Hunger. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He was hungry. What are some other legitimate needs that we have? Sex. Water, too. But I was just going to dive right into sex. Just go ahead and knock that out early. Sex. That's a legitimate need. It's from God. Like, God has, like, there is a desire within us to satisfy this urge. It's from him. He created it. He wanted us. He wanted this to be there. But, and this is the whole thing. I'm not, I'm not bringing, like, any, like, crazy theories or, like, any weird answers. It's all pretty direct. Every answer that he gives is him saying, yes. You were talking about a specific need that you're trying to tempt me with. But God has a way that he has said I should go, and I will not divert from that. And so God's way, God's method, God's plan, God's providing, God's providing is where he put his trust the whole time. When it comes to sex, sex isn't bad. It's only wrong when it's in the wrong context at the wrong time. That's the only time. That's it. He has a legitimate need. He's hungry. He's very hungry. He says, hey, go and satisfy this need. Go and take matters into your own hands. You're divine. I know you're the son of God. Go and, go and do a miracle and turn these, these stones into bread and satisfy your hunger. And he said, yeah, but that's not what God has told me to do. So I will not trust that. No. And I love what he says here because he goes back and talks about what we talked about a few weeks ago, which was this idea that man cannot live on bread alone. It's not enough just to satisfy our personal needs. We have greater needs. We have spiritual needs. You can't live on this earth and live well and healthily and at your fullest by only eating bread and drinking water. We have spiritual needs, and Jesus is pointing to that. He said, it's not good enough for me to satisfy my physical needs. There's more to the story. But then we go to the second one. What's the second one? He said, then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Just to give you a, a bit of context, not as high as the engineering building, but pretty close. What they believe is that Jesus, the devil, took him up to the top of the temple. We don't know if this is a vision or we don't know if this is for real. But basically, from the top of the temple down, at the bottom are the courts where all the people are. And so you imagine that he's up there and there's a bunch of people below. And if he jumps off, the devil is saying, look. In the Bible, in Psalms 91, it says that the angels will catch you. 
So why don't you go and just jump down to prove to everyone that you are the son of God? He is appealing to his ambition. First, he appealed to his desires, like physical needs. Then he appealed to his ambition, which we all have. This desire to prove to everyone why I am valuable and why I matter, why I'm important. You go to school and you want to get a good degree and you want to get a good job and you want to just prove to people that, yeah, you, you did it. That's basically what he's doing. He's saying, take matters into your own hands. Look, people don't even know you're the son of God yet. You're like still under the radar. Do this miracle and you'll put your name on the map. That's what he's telling him. And what does Jesus say? And it's interesting because he actually misquotes the Bible in order to do it. Because he says that the angels will catch you. But he leaves out to follow God in all of your ways. In Psalms 91, that's what it says. Thou shalt not tempt. And then Jesus responds, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And I'm just going to read Psalm 91. Just He's. Psalms 91 said, he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you in all of his ways. Meaning, it's not enough just to, I don't know any way to say this other than it's not important just to do the right thing. But it's the way that you do it that Jesus is modeling to us. The way that you do it is huge. He appealed to all things that Jesus wanted, but he couldn't have it because the method was wrong. It was going about it the wrong way. It was taking matters into his own hands. Have you taken matters into your own hands? I know I have. Moments where I have a desire for something and I'm like, ooh, I really want this. I could do what I know would be right, but I'm not sure I would get it. Or I could try to take matters into my own hands to make sure that I get it. That's what he's trying to appeal to Jesus on. Taking matters into his own hands. And Jesus says, no again. No again. And then the last time he says, and the devil took him up to a high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And all of this, he said, I will give you if you will bow down to worship me. This is why Jesus came to the earth. He came to be king over all the nations of the world. And it says one day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day. And then the devil is telling him, don't wait for that day to happen. Do it today. If you bow down and worship me. I said it earlier that you, Jesus isn't Anakin. And, and you guys really aren't Anakin either. Meaning the temptation to go to the dark side usually appeals to no one. How does the devil tempt us? Tempt us? He just comes and says, hey, do things your own way. And that's enough to follow the temptations of the devil. Specifically, God says, do things my way. The devil says, no, don't do things my way. Just do things your own way. As long as he can get you away from God, that's satisfaction to him. And Jesus here models for us 
I'm just going to say it again. It is not just good to do the right thing, but it's important to do the right things the right way. He said, I will not trust any of your schemes. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. And he's like, be gone. If you're like struggling, you're like, ah, I kind of get this. I kind of see it. There is a passage way later on, right before Jesus dies on the cross. It's the night before. And it is the clearest experience that Jesus has where he models again how he overcomes temptation. It's in Luke chapter 22, and it says, Jesus went to go pray on the mountain, Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And on reaching this place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew just a stone's throw away from them. And he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Basically, if you're willing, make it so I don't have to die on the cross. Which is the thing that the devil offered him. That was the last temptation. He took him to a high mountain and he said, look, I'll give you all the kings of, kingdoms of the world. Just do it my way. Basically, I'll give you the kingdoms of, kingdoms of the world. And I can do it without the cross. And then Jesus says no. And then Jesus is here saying, I am terrified about the prospect of being on the cross because he knows what it means. But then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. The whole point is that Jesus looked to God for his provision on God's terms. Each time. And that's how you overcome temptation. You look for God's provision, meaning I'm going to wait for God to provide this instead of taking matters into my own hands. I have a friend. There was a girl. She was interested in him, but she was really bad news. And he was like, man, this girl is really pretty, and there's a lot of things about her that I really like, but I definitely know that this is not a good decision to date her. And so he was about to enter, like, to give in, to be like, ah, you know what, let me just see. Let's just see. Let me just try it out. But then he paused, and he was like, no, you know what, never mind. I'll wait for God. And it was so cool because, you know, it was a couple years later. It wasn't immediately after, but it was a couple years later that he met someone who was way better and was not bad news. And she has made him better and he, he has peace with God. That is like, that's one of the, that was one of the best pictures of overcoming temptation that I ever saw. Like, we all have it. We have these legitimate needs that we want to take matters into our own hands. But the Bible says that Jesus modeled for us that waiting for God's provision on God's terms is the way. Before I finish, I wanted to make sure that I said, like, three things that were, like, just super practical things about, like, how to overcome temptation. Because temptation is hard. It's really hard. For me, I didn't do things on God's way, God's terms, for a long time. I kept making bad decisions, and I kept having to learn hard lessons. And it took me a long time to get this. I don't want you to have to learn all the bad, bad lessons that I learned Three things that may be helpful. One, reveal your struggle to a friend. If you're tempted with something, the secrecy is usually the power. If it's kept in secret, it'll have a hold over you. But if you tell a friend, someone that you trust, 
open up to them. Ask them to help you with it. Ask them to keep you accountable. It'll change so much. A, light, a, a weight will come off of you immediately once you start opening up to someone that you trust about something you're tempted with. The second thing, don't take it lightly. Jesus said, and this is pretty crazy, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out with a knife. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it'd be better for you to be in heaven without a hand or without an eye than to be in hell with both your eyes and both your hands. It's hyperbole. <laughs> Please don't do this. <laughs> but what he is saying is deal seriously with things that you're tempted with. Don't take, don't take it lightly. Don't be like, oh, I can handle it because we all do that. We say, I'm going to handle it. And then what happens? It handles you more and more and more and more. But the last thing, and this is like my favorite, run. <laughs> For real, run. Change the habits of your life so that you don't have to be around it. I think about like pornography and the hold that it used to have on my life. I had to make some drastic changes. One of those changes was I stopped getting online. I actually stopped using my computer at all after a certain time at night. Because it usually wasn't, it wasn't early in the day. It was like usually a certain time that triggers would happen. And so I changed this habit of my life. One of my favorite stories in the Bible of someone who did this was a guy named Joseph. Joseph, crazy life, crazy life. A lot of unfortunate things happened to him. But basically, long story short, he is separated from his family. He's a pretty young dude, and he is sold into slavery by his own family members, and he's working for this Egyptian official. While working for him, the dude's wife gets the hots for him. And this is what it says. So Potiphar, the Egyptian official, left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge, and he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's cool. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and she said, come to bed with me. He used to call her Hotifer, not Potiphar. You know, because he was Potiphar and she was Hotifer, you know. Man, I am just full of really bad jokes tonight. Sorry. I'll work on my joke game next time. But what did you say afterwards? He said, he refused. And he said, with me in charge, no, he said, I just, he said, he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Basically, he's left everything under me. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could you do such a wicked, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her, meaning be around her. And on a certain day, he went into the house to do his attendant, uh, to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, you know, kind of like butt naked. I don't know if he was butt naked, but he was wearing less clothes. 
It says a couple times in the New Testament to flee from, flee from lust. You don't go to battle with it. You don't try to beat it. You get out of the room. You don't put yourself in that setting. When you feel it coming on, you go somewhere else. Man, if I could just encourage you, let the memory of Joseph sit in your mind so that you don't have to look at someone with regret the next day or days after looking at yourself with regret because you made a decision that you wish that you would have run from, and now, now you have some stuff to deal with. He ran from her. I just think that's so cool. I'm finishing up, but as I finish, I just want to say this. The one thing about Jesus and in in being tempted in the wilderness is that we can't relate. We can't relate because we're not God. Not like he was. Giving into temptation is what we've been doing forever. It's had a hold on us. No one's been perfect outside of Jesus. But in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, way back, many years before Jesus said, there would be someone who would come. And this person who would come would bring a new covenant. And this new covenant because of the life that they're going to live and the death that they're going to die, this new covenant is going to make it possible for you to have a new heart. So much so that this new heart can make it so that your desires will not just be what they were, but, he could, but this new covenant could give you a new heart where you have new desires even. Where the things that you're, that you're tempted about today may not be the things that you have to be tempted about tomorrow. He says in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. The band can go ahead and come up as I finish. But I was reading the story of this girl who, there was a famous doctor from Austria. He comes in and he's a surgeon, this is some years ago. And when he comes into town, he's in San Francisco visiting there and a girl with clubbed feet. Does anyone know what clubbed feet are? It's, 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 it's pretty serious, especially if you can't get it fixed. It's a deformity of your feet that, that happens with children who are born. It's, it's something that can be dealt with early in life, but it can't be fixed later on if it's not fixed when someone's a baby. So a baby is brought with club feet, and he goes and does this crazy operation where he goes and basically untangles their feet and straightens them out. And then they'll be able to, when they're out of the cast, they'll be able to run and jump and, and do all these things, you know, when they start walking because, you know, babies can't run and jump. But the deformed feet that they have doesn't have to be the state of their whole life. Our hearts are twisted, and they're tangled, and they're deformed. And this surgeon, he said it perfectly. He said, 
as long as an infant is brought to me, I can fix them. But if somebody comes later in life, there's no hope for them. They will, be, they will have club feet forever and they won't walk. Our hearts, though they may be deformed and twisted and mo though they may have been for a long time, if you have never accepted Jesus, that does not have to be your state forever. Your tempting thoughts that may be wicked, they may be deformed, and they may have like a real hold on your life, that doesn't have to be forever. That can actually change tonight. He can give you a new heart tonight. That man that Nathan talked about, the king, the king that God had set up in his sovereignty, as Nathan said so well, that man, even God gave him a new heart. He is in the business of giving new hearts so that you have desires that want what he wants, what Jesus modeled, so that the things that you wanted yesterday or even today don't have to have a hold on you forever. So tonight, you know, as we sing worship, we're going to have some people like up here and you can pray with them. And I just want to encourage everyone. Everyone deals with temptation. Everyone does. You should come up here or turn to your small group leader or your resource leader and pray with them. Tell them what you're struggling with. Bring it into the open. If you keep it secret, it'll continue to have power over you. And then if you've never accepted Jesus, all you have to do is tell him that you want to trust him to be your Lord and Savior. Savior, because you're saying, Jesus, I'm not good enough, but you are good enough, and you said that you died on the cross to make me whole. And Lord, you're basically just saying what the Bible says about you, God, I'll read it. And I'll take it seriously. I'll do things your way on your terms, your provision, your way, just like Jesus modeled in the desert. All you have to do is come up and pray with someone and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to be my Lord, and I'll start this journey with you. He can give you a new heart. And he can make it so that the temptations of old don't have to be the deformed thoughts that you've had in the past. They don't have to be your future. He can fi fix your clubbed heart. I'll pray and we'll be done. Father God, thank you. Thank you for how Jesus modeled that the things that we're tempted about don't have to rule over us. And thank you, Lord God, that you gave us Jesus who has made it possible for us to be freed from the things that tempt us and the temptations that we give into and create sin. You are able, you love us, we trust you. Help us to trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.